This is a production of Cornell University. Yep, everybody's in. Okay. Um, so for our live audience, uh, welcome to the fourth episode this year, the Cornell Turf Show, Fastest 30 Minutes in Turf. Uh, happy again to have Rich Buckley, uh, director of the Plant Diagnostic Lab at Rutgers. Rich was on with us yesterday for episode three, uh, our golf, golf audience. Uh, happy to chat with Rich today about early season diseases on on lawn areas and, and some common problems we might notice. Um, so for our live audience, fill out that poll there. We'll, we'll close that a little bit. Um, but as always, we'll start with Frank. Um, beautiful sunny morning and in most of the Northeast, Frank, where things are kind of looking up. And as always, you start us off on a little bit of a light note, usually. Um, got anything uh, interesting, fun from social media for us today? Uh, well, um, uh, honestly, Carl, uh, I'm, I'm all business today, uh, unfortunately. Business. And, and part of it is because it's, it's still damn cold. I was out there doing chores this morning, uh, mm -hmm. and it was, uh, in the twenties, everything's frozen. Um, and so it's been a interesting start to the year and I just assume get into the weather, but I'm sort of wondering, uh, what we're seeing in the poll already this morning. Do we know where everyone's from? Yeah, so uh, I'll just close it up here, and it looks like about a third of a, a third of the audience school grounds and fields. Mm -hmm. um, some educators in there, twenty-two percent. Uh, one person from a municipality, and then a couple others in there. So probably okay. a combination of those three. All right. Well, uh, yeah. you know, this is the we're doing lawn uh, and grounds um, uh, every other week with sports, um, and golf happens every week because you know those guys are nutty. <laughs> and, and they want to hear from us every week and and you know it's a incredibly intensive management system and and of course sports is as well and certain lawns can be and certainly if you're in the institutional grounds business like our brother here at cornell uh, dan scheid uh, you know all about when you have to do things uh, at a fairly large scale as you do in the background here at the greenwood cemetery um so listen let's talk about the winter I've, you know, I, I get to chat about the weather with a lot of different people and present the weather in a lot of different ways. And sometimes and it gets curated over a period of time as you wrap up and get into the growing season. And, and this has certainly been a warmer than normal winter. Now, again, I think, Carl, we asked uh, folks this last week and a lot of people said uh, it, they thought it felt cool or maybe they felt it felt normal. But this was uh, slightly above average uh, when can, when looking at the entire uh, course of the winter. Now, what's interesting is um, we're already uh, starting to see some drought. We went into uh, the winter with a bit of drought, and it looks like we're already uh, coming out in some places, particularly here uh, along us, you know, southern New England, the coast of New England. We have a lot of contact with our colleague. Uh, Victoria Wallace at the University of Connecticut, um, who talks a lot about how dry it's been out there for a number of years now. Southeastern New England has really uh, had it hit it on the chin, had it on the chin the last several years with regard to uh, drought. Now, the interesting thing about the winter, uh, when you look at a national perspective, and again, I talked about this with the golf folks last week a little bit, um, you know, we had a lot of snow cover across the entire United States. Lots of concern about places where we're trying to grow warm season grasses in these regions of the central United States. But, but up here, we had a lot of persistent snow cover. But when you actually look at the moisture, and you know, this is the funny thing, you, you sort of know where you are. If you look where I live, we live here, Carl, in, in, in central New York. Uh, you know, it's a fairly, it was a fairly wet 
uh, winter uh, on the whole, certainly uh, slightly above average. Rich has been wet now for several years. I think Rich is starting to believe he lives in a rainforest or something, but there certainly were plenty of wet areas down here in Jersey. And, and throughout the Northeast, again, fairly dry. It was a fairly dry winter, even in, even in New England and, and, in, and in Western New York, especially up along the lake in Rochester. So uh, what's coming? Well, it looks like a swath of moisture's coming through. Uh, this is not good in some ways for uh, any place that's going to get a lot of traffic, uh, even trying to get work done when the soil's wet from the rainfall that's expected. And I just love that this, this is two inch rainfall plus right where Rich is. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about what the cool wet weather is going to bring. So uh, degree days uh, so far as we accumulate them, this is a good tracking for insects and weeds. We use phenology a lot. We'll talk a little bit more about phenology, phenological indicators, when plants are blooming and when things like pests can coincide with the plant bloom. Um, obviously we do that for forsythia bloom and crabgrass stuff and insect stuff. So uh, as you can see, not a lot of uh, base 50 growing degree days. We're still down uh, fairly low and not many expected. Now the eight to 14 day forecast for much of the Northeast uh, is above normal. I'll show you a map in a minute that says we're expected to have above normal temperatures next week, but at least from a degree day perspective above 50 degree day perspective we do not expect to accumulate a lot next next week now just to remind everybody about you know again out mowing and doing stuff you know i know we're pent up to want to get out there but growth potential even when you know we're barely making average temperatures of 50 degrees that means the greatest a grass could possibly grow is 20 percent of of full potential so obviously you know, we want to be careful. Now, some of this is because of the fall spring or is the fool spring in some cases. I don't know how many people knew this. I, I should have brought this up with Art the other day, but New York actually has 12 seasons that includes this fool spring. And you can see this is what happened uh, in early March, uh, just last week, where we had 60 degree temperatures. Um, and we still are, you know, I was out today, it was in the teens. And so when you look at the National Phenology Network that looks at flowering plants, this is the spring leaf index, sort of how trees and plants are leafing out. Like the dark red is where you're about 20 days ahead, plus or minus, and the blue zone is where you're about 20 days behind. Now, up until just a few days ago, we hadn't really leafed out very much at all. So we want to be careful not to jump the gun here again, uh, much like what we talked to you guys about uh, last year. Now, as the snow melts, one of the things you're likely to see this year because of the widespread snow issues were uh, problems with voles. So uh, this is a fill the soil and get some seed on there. Um, you know, this is, they're not like moles. It's a little bit different. I mean, you can do trapping, but, it, and, and they're not going back to feed there anymore. They're going to find the uh, alternative food sources that are a little more protected. Uh, th they were out there, of course, underneath the snow, well insulated and protected. And that's why you're seeing some of this. So fairly easy problem to solve. So since we're starting to look down below the soil, let's look at two inch soil temperatures this morning um, or on the 18th. And, and it looks like we're just creeping into the low 40s uh, in southern New Jersey. You can see where the heat is building to the south, but still 
barely cracking the 50 degree mark. So again, just to remind everybody how early we are. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about being able to look at data that Google can accumulate is the ability to look at Google Trends. And one of the search terms I have found to be interesting to teach a lot about how people pay attention to the soil is uh, put in soil into the Google Trends search document, and you'll get uh, the ability to look at how much people searched for the term soil since 2004 on Google. And what you notice is this very interesting heartbeat uh, of interest in the spring uh, in, the, in the Northern Hemisphere uh, for the word soil. Look at what happened last year in the pandemic. We're expecting a similar interest in this going forward. We're going to talk more about soil stuff as we keep going during the year. But it's very interesting that how many people will actually Google something with the word soil in it uh, right at this time of year. Now, the other thing they should have been Googling is what do I do with dead grass along the sidewalk, right? We know this has to do likely with soil uh, grass, the soil warming right next to the pavement, grass breaking dormancy, late snowfalls that require salt applications, and then widespread death uh, right along the edge uh, of the sidewalk there. And so obviously replanting these areas is a priority in many grounds facilities, you know, generally it requires a little bit of, uh, of uh, stirring up the soil. Obviously these are soil problems as well as plant problems. So trying to fix the soil there, this is not an easy problem to fix. And honestly, what our research would tell you is the later the snowfall, the more you should consider alternative de-icing salts that are more expensive but less injurious to the grass. So one of the ways to prevent this from happening is to try to obviously not drive the tractors and things on the sidewalks, but also switch to a salt that might have less damagement problems to a grass stand than uh, otherwise uh, uh, the rock salt that we typically use. Now, got a question uh, uh, from uh, County Extension Office down in Westchester County, our new uh, extension person down there, Hillary. Uh, taken over for the retired Jerry Giordano, for those of you who didn't know that. And uh, the question was from a local person about uh, picking the right grass seed and what does Cornell have for resources on this? Well, if you go to the Cornell Turfgrass website, you will see a uh, turfgrass species and variety guide. Uh, we did it as an iBook many years ago. My longtime colleague, Mary Thurn, did this as an iBook many years ago. And while the variety information in there would be dated, it's about six years old, the process of selecting and the information in there is still really very good and very easy to access from a PDF perspective. Now, if you look at, we have simple charts in there, like, you know, if you have more full sun, uh, and, and higher visual quality you want, obviously maybe more Kentucky bluegrass and perennial ryegrass. You can still have tall fescue in there, but you know, tall fescue moves you into more mowing. It also does better with no irrigation. So there's a good narrative here and a really good table summarizing all the good uh, varieties available. And I'll joke with, I'll, I'll joke with Rich before we get on there. Cause you know, one of our goals, Rich with you is to sell some Rutgers seed, right brother? Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Now, so before we get to talking about Rutgers seed, 
for those of you that might be thinking, oh, I got to get my pre-crab out. Oh, I got to get my weed and feed out because you think you might be seeing crabgrass. Let me just remind you that this, this data pull from the GDD tracker that's maintained at Michigan State University, that's uh, timing of uh, crabgrass germination, which, you know, into the soils get into the 50s. We're not even talking about this. And you can see crabgrass is just beginning to germinate uh, just in North Florida, all the way up into uh, the low country along the coast of uh, South Carolina, right? So we got a ways yet. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because if you put your pre-emergent herbicide down now, it's going to start to break down, right? And if you, if you get 12 weeks out of it, you know, do the math. You still uh, are going to have seedlings emerging after the herbicides broken down. And here's just emergence data from uh, Ontario, Canada of crabgrass in a lawn. And even though these are degree days and days of the year, you can see calendar days, right? So this is well into the summer, June, early July, right? You're still getting 20, 30% of the crabgrass is still going to germinate, right? And if, if your pre-emergence product wears out, you know, now you're going to have more problems with crabgrass later on. So we're early yet. Don't go crazy. So since we got rich here, uh, and what the kinds of things we're going to see, certainly one of the things I've noticed, uh, you know, out at the barn at the farm, Rich, is where I got a shaded barn. I, I got a pretty good crop of gray snow mold. So you'll definitely see likely snow mold in shaded low wet areas. But the one thing I actually wanted to chat with you about because it's been bugging me for a while uh, is this idea of red thread, Rich. Um, I, uh, I want to pivot to you here and talk a little bit about um, red thread issues that as well as pink snow mold in lawns is going to start coming on and what we've noticed about more red thread over the last several years. So why don't we start with chatting about uh, red thread. What, what are your thoughts about where we're at, you know, in the 25, 20 some odd years, you and I have been chatting about this. Well, uh, red thread, of course, uh, we always kind of consider it one of the first diseases you're going to see because it's got a low temperature. It, it'll grow from 30 degrees to 85 degrees. So pretty much uh, any time of year, even now, uh, you know, you, you, you'll see, you'll see red thread. If you walk across a ryegrass, uh, uh, past year, you'll find some, you know, and, and uh, it, it's a, it's a disease that, uh, you know, it, it's not real virulent. It's not like gray leaf spot. It's not going to kill everything, but, but it's going to, it's going to flare generally in under managed turf grass areas, you know, uh, uh, lower input, leaner for fertility wise. And, and I mean, that's the conventional wisdom. Anyway. Uh, well, that, that, then I'm going to stop you. Because that's what I was taught by Noel Jackson in Rhode yeah. Island. And now I'm seeing rough, I'm seeing high-end lawns with it. I'm seeing yeah. it in, in um, you know, rough areas on golf courses for sure. But in places that I wouldn't say are necessarily low fertility. Uh, and I wouldn't say are necessarily places where we see it a lot. Are, are, and I think over the last few years, this has been one of those lawn diseases that the conditions maybe have persisted longer for it in the spring. 
And I think it's starting to take out some turf. Well, I think I think that you're right about the conditions. You know, we have these longer, warmer seasons with more moisture. Um, you know, clearly it's been raining like like crazy here. Um, <laughs> but you know, the t- the temperature comes up and you, you get 50 degrees, and it stays that way. And you know, from from first of April until the first of June, with regular rainfall, and you're in the window where the where the pathogen likes to grow. Um, you know, we, we always talked to Eric Nelson used to talk about moisture as the on and off switch and temperature as the throttle, you know, and, and where if we get the temperature within the range that the fungus grows the fastest, you're going to get more damage, you know, regardless of, uh, uh, of management practice. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to get a, a, a longer period of damage, which will expose crowns to traffic and, and so you may see dead or thinning grass, you know, uh, it's a cumulative effect, but uh, uh, for sure, it, it, it's, it's not, you know, I read Noel Jackson's book too, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, and I used to have a professor, Joe Peterson, he used to always tell me, fungi don't read the book. And, and so, 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 yeah, I think, I think you'll see it in higher, higher, higher end lawn areas. Now, in general, in general, much like we would with the snow molds, uh, particularly gray snow mold, uh, where you might see a greater preponderance of it, particularly in low wet areas, shaded areas. You know, once we get to active growth, Rich, don't, how do you, I mean, you're not liking treating for these things in lawns. You're liking uh, rake it up, get some seed in there. Let's get, let's get some active growth. Uh, let's get some conditions for growth. You're not recommending any fungicides for any of these molds or uh, red threads early in the season on on lawns or or maybe on high end uh, estate grounds or maybe front you know fronts of buildings anywhere you'd recommend an uh, early season fungicide. I, I don't. I you know once the snow melts, the gray snow mold's done. Yeah. Right. And and so generally that that's a pathogen that's going to blight leaves. And the crowns are going to survive, and you know, raking it up, and uh, uh, maybe a little end to push it, push it into growth. Once we get into that growth potential, um, we, and it, you know, it'll disappear like it wasn't even there. Uh, in most most landscape turf, I, I'm not that concerned about it. I mean, clearly down in Westchester, you know, in Scarsdale, there's people that have to have perfection. You know, but uh, uh, most of us don't need perfection. And if you don't need it, you know, we're seeing that some, some, you know, we're seeing some winter damage too, you know, in, in, and, and I got, I got some direct uh, Twitter messages today of lawns with pink snow mold, which I almost never see. Now, pink, pink, pink is, is, you know, in a home lawn, I, I, it's got a worse prognosis, you know, you're going to see some death, but I still think, you know, seeding and, and just recovering that way as opposed to a fungicide is the way to go. And pink snow mold certainly is going to go, it's going to go sniffing out the ryegrass pretty quickly, right? I mean, it, the, any ryegrass and poa you have in there is going to get uh, found by the pink snow mold. Wouldn't you think that's where it's going to start? Yeah, that's where and, and it's more susceptible. And, uh, and that's a mobile fungus. You know, it, it makes a bazillion spores and it moves around. And, and so it, it's going to, it's going to move and it's going to, and it'll stay active. You know, uh, uh, yesterday, you know, we had 24 hours of, of rainfall, you know, and it was 45 degrees, perfect conditions for it. You know, so if I'm a golf course superintendent, I might've saw that coming and made a fungicide application, 
you know, on my putting greens. But in the home lawn, you know, most people don't notice. And uh, it is what it is. It'll continue to flare up under those conditions. And, and so what about another foliar problem, uh, leaf spot? Before we go underground, I want to talk about roots. We're going to talk about aeration and some, uh, some lawn root uh, challenges. But let, let's start with leaf spot. Le leaf spot is one of those things that, again, once the temperatures start getting above 50, if we stay wet, particularly you guys, you know, you're going to continue to see leaf spots. Or if we really outgrown leaf spot as a problem because most of our varieties now are resistant to it. Well, well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the fungus makes spores now, you know, when it, it, and you're going to see it uh, reproducing on thatch, you know, into April before it starts to get into the leaves and starting to cause spots. Yeah. Um, most of the newer varieties have some degree of resistance in them. I mean, they've been breeding for leaf spot resistance since like 1965. Yeah. You know, as long as we've been alive, you know, and so, so, but I still, I still get uh, uh, sod growers who are growing tall fescue sod and blending a little Kentucky bluegrass in and going with cheap old varieties. And so we, yeah. we, most of the time I get it from those guys or in sod recently installed sod, yeah. you know, so it, it's still, it's still out there. It's not as big a concern as it used to be, put it that way. All right, good. So, so we always want to make sure we plug a little bit of Rutgers seed while we're here, while we got you. Uh, and certainly there's a lot of seeding going on uh, at this time. And, and again, th this is a time to get some seed down to outcompete the weeds. And at the same time, if you see a certain, if you have chronic problems, particularly with diseases, Rich, I mean, we have so many better varieties than we just did even five to seven years ago. Um, obviously you, you want to believe continuing to introduce new genetics in any thinning areas is the key. Uh, I, I'm all off. That's hundred percent correct. And if I, if you talk to Bill Meyer, Dr. Meyer will say that the best varieties this year are way down the list in five years, it takes about five years to improve. And it, and, it, and it's been ongoing since the 1950s in ryegrass. And we have some really good new scientists, uh, 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 working in the tall fescues. So for ryegrasses and tall fescues, we're, we're, we're running way ahead of, uh, of, of the path. And, you know, spend a little bit more money for, for a, a newer, improved variety and you get what you pay for. Well, and furthermore, uh, you know, the wind out of the West with the seed cut industry is, is that uh, ryegrass production is going to be down, ryegrass seeds going up which, uh, you know, you visit the guys who oversee the golf courses in the desert, and then they all start getting nervous with the amount of seed those people buy. Uh, a little bit of a price increase is going to hit everybody. But li listen, Rich, let's get to the soil. Because um, obviously a lot of bluegrass, a lot of annual bluegrass gets into lawns. Um, if the soils are tight, these kinds of lawns can be prone to summer patch. They might be prone to fairy ring. Uh, historically, you know, on a golf course, we had this conversation the other day about it uh, with regard to getting, getting it down, getting it in. Uh, let's start first with uh, how often do you see uh, significant summer patch problems on lawns? And when you do, what, what do you think it's about? We, well, we, we see a fair amount of summer patch in lawns. You know, uh, uh, the lawn and landscape professionals that, that use our laboratory 
are generally working in higher end properties. You know, Northwest Jersey mm -hmm. is one of the richest places in the country. So, so there's a lot of really high end bluegrass. And so we get summer patch in there. And, uh, uh, you know, in those situations, you know, we try to work with them on an integrated program of cultural adjustments. You know, uh, soil pH matters a lot uh, with, with the with summer patch. I mean, you want to get down to about five and a half. Um, compacted soils uh, matter a lot, even in, in, in moderately or low compaction sites, air core aerification uh, improves the, the, the situation. Uh, you know, as long as you're doing it at the right time of year, you know, uh, uh, there's some contradiction in the airification, um, but I think it was basically because the trials were done late, you right. know, <laughs> guys are air fight. If you air fight early and get, you, you can recover some roots and some growth, it, 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 it's a benefit. That's right. um, we also uh, uh, think about height of cut. You know, we want, we want you up two and a half inches, three inches, rather than if you get, if you're below two inches, it increases the disease, you know? So, so if, you know, and then lastly, there are varieties that tolerate it better. So if you got to have bluegrass, you can overseed some of those thin spots and, and, you know, and, and, and no, no, no homeowner can tell the difference between bluegrass and ryegrass or tall fescue. And so if you can get the same leaf, you know, and the same kind of color, just overseed it in ryegrass, yeah. you know, problem solved. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's so interesting uh, to hear you say that because there are so many bluegrass varieties. It's harder to change things in the bluegrasses, but I always like the integrated approach. Number one, if you're having chronic problems, it's gotta be related to something in your soil. This is, these root pathogens are definitely soil related. So obviously getting after those problems. Now, that said, I think there's a broader conversation to be had about, do we need to airify lawns that don't have problems? Uh, you know, what do we need? Cause first off, when you're airifying a lawn, it's not like airifying a putting green where you're getting it on one inch, you know, three quarter inch tines on half inch spacings, Rich, where you turn the damn thing into Swiss cheese. You see the average, you know, grounds or lawn aerator, uh, it's making a hole every four inches. And then lucky you get down two inches you know <laughs> maybe it depends how wet it is you're, you're being kind I mean, <laughs> right but i'm thinking about even if you got the jet you know the 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 jackrabbit that's driving it in vertically which is the one you know we like um you're still not making a lot of holes and i'm wondering you know is there you know is there value in this or is it just something we've concocted to be able to sell a service uh and you know i often think we're also burping the soil so, you know, gases are going off, you're burning an engine, you know, you're making it look like something if you don't need to. I think right. it's important that there are things that are indicators of this weed growth, summer patch. Uh, I don't know, fairy ring. Where do you put lawn fairy ring in this discussion? Some people get those issues. Yeah, I, I mean, for fairy ring, the, 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 you know, and well, the first, the greater point is, I agree. There's no reason in the lawn landscape to core um, if you don't need to, if you're not trying to fix something, you know, and, and, and largely because um, the, the, the technique is poor, you know, the equipment is not the same, you know, we have to fill the holes with sand or compost or something to, to make it long-term yeah. and, and most, most people can't afford or, or aren't willing to go there, you know? Yeah. 
and and so uh, uh, so so. But if you have summer patch or compaction or lots of thatch, maybe that's a play, place that you you know if you can do it right. Um, with fairy rings, the biggest issue is the soil becoming hydrophobic, and and if if you have them and you need to do something about it because you're losing grass, you need to core and core very aggressively and then maybe use wetting agents to try, you know, and which wetting agents I don't really see used in lawn and landscape. It's something that, that maybe could be adopted, you know. And digging the soil out's not a solution either, right? No, you see great pictures. I got great pictures of, of guys who dug out the fairy ring and then it's like two feet away the next year it's, it's back and they dug it out again and it's two feet away, it's back. That's All just, right. you know, you're just- That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, people digging digging holes. It reminds me of uh, the conversation in Nick Menchek and the soil sifters from across the street. Carl, <laughs> we're close to the witching hour. We got any questions? Yeah, we got one question from Sean. Uh, he was asking, you know, it sounds like what we're talking about today. You know, Rich, you're maybe more concerned about pink snow mold than gray snow mold. He was thinking, uh, you know, the opposite, that usually we consider gray snow mold to be more deadly than pink snow mold. Is that because, uh, Rich, you were kind of saying pink snow mold just has a longer period of time it can grow and reproduce in, in the spring? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, pink snow mold has a, a lot wider uh, temperature range where it's going to grow, yeah. right? So you, 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 you'll see it um, in, uh, uh, in, in late May, even in shady spots. And, and, and so that's something. Um, uh, you know, the other thing, too, in lone landscape, it's, it's usually gray. You know, it's not usually pink. It, it's kind of unusual to see it. And, and so uh, maybe that's why, we, you know, you got a lot of snow cover and, and you got some gray snow mold and a lot of, and a lot of winter kill too. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and, it's, and it, the impression is that it's worse, um, but it's, less, it's a less virulent pathogen, you know. It, but, but, and, but once the snow goes away, uh, it, the, the, the gray snow mold doesn't keep growing. That's the problem with pink snow mold. The damn thing just keeps, if it's raining at 45 degrees, it'll just keep growing and growing and growing. And, and worse yet, if you go mowing and raking things along it, you're going to start streaking it, uh, all over the lawn is all over the lawn as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Carl, another question. Uh, yeah, Dave, uh, Chinnery was asking if people should dig out their soil for summer patch. It sounds like, uh, that's probably not a, that's probably not a technique we should do for anything. <laughs> no, we, we just, we want to get along. We just want to get along with summer patch, you know, it's coexist. <laughs> yeah. So, um, All right. Hey, Rich, thanks a lot for taking the time. Really yeah. appreciate you doing two days in a row. And we'll probably be talking to you next Thursday for the conference call that we'll start doing uh, amongst our uh, Thursday morning gang. Carl, take us out of here. Yep. Uh, again, uh, for Rich Buckley, Frank Rossi, uh, thanks, guys, for joining us today. Um, you know, fourth, fourth episode, Cornell Turf Show, uh, fastest 30 minutes in turf in the books. Uh, <laughs> thanks all to the live audience. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, same time, same place. Thanks a lot, guys. See ya. Thank you, guys. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web at cornell.edu.